Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Wow. Hello and welcome to the Abroad Japan Podcast, probably the best way of learning about life in Japan without actually being in Japan. I'm your host, Chris Broad, and we're joined, as always, by England's top Japan enthusiast, Mr. Pete Donaldson. Pete, how are you doing today? What's going well, on? Well, I thought I was doing okay. The sun's shining, the birds are singing. I'm in my little uh, little grief hall at the end of the garden doing this podcast, and uh, got very greasy hair. I've not, not been in the shower yet. What an absolute stink boy. Sorry, Chris, I'm turning up looking like an absolute load of rubbish for you and and also yeah. as you can hear my voice is in no kind of state either oh no <laughs> you, you've, yeah, you've got a kind of a sleazy hair back look going on like a gangster who's yeah. rubbed some fried chicken through his hair but <laughs> other than that you look great Cheers, oh mate. dear so we made some uh some theories in the podcast last yep. week that branson yep. would get back and uh the england would prevail one of those came true and yeah. I'm sure, like me, you were delighted that Richard Branson got back safe and sound. It offset some of the the not so good news that England didn't win. The continuation the of the, the the continuation of the hurt. I I think if you ask most people, would we miss Richard Branson if he wasn't necessary? Oh. <laughs> I'm not just, look, pay your taxes and people will like you more. Um, but like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, would you rather England coming home? I, I look, it's not for me to say. I think. Uh, if England could have won and Richard Branson to come back at seven sound, that would have been cracking. Mm. Uh, one of those things happened, uh, as you said. Um, Chris was un- unbelievably worried about uh, predicting that uh, Richard Branson was going to come back uh, alive. I'd say he, he, it's fine. He's been tested. Look, it, it, he either does it now or he does it in a few weeks after Jeff Bezos. So uh, I, I didn't realise that um, Jeff Bezos's craft is going a little bit higher um, and Richard Branson's uh, one didn't quite get as high, which is uh, amusing. I would very much like to compare and contrast the two views uh, both yeah. um, unlovable billionaires have of the, the earth from above. That's what I want to see. I mean, I've been fascinated by it all. It's true, yeah. The uh, Jeff Bezos's rocket goes, I think, 100 kilometers, which is the Kármán line, which is internationally recognized as the, right. the point where sort of space begins as you leave the Earth's atmosphere. Whereas Richard Branson went, I think, 80 kilometers, right. <laughs> not quite as high, but it's still <laughs> recognized in the US as space. NASA recognized right. that as the point where space begins. And to be fair, both of those points are, I think, completely more or less past the Earth's atmosphere, like 99% mm. 
beyond the Earth's atmosphere. So it's technically space. But mm. Jeff Bezos did like a tweet, or his company Blue Origin, like our company gets you ten miles higher and <laughs> we're better. <laughs> Do you really want to fly Virgin Galactic? And it got like a little bit, it got a little bit ridiculous. Throwing did shade, it, right? Okay, um, it was quite fun. Like I so I watched it. And for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, Richard Branson, Virgin Galactic. He got in a little rocket that goes up on a plane to, I think, 40,000, 50,000 feet. Then the rocket, which is sort of being held onto this plane, drops down. A rocket ignites and it launches, goes from zero to 3,000 miles per hour in like 10 seconds or something ridiculous. And uh, after just one minute at that speed, they are in space. And uh, yeah, yeah, I was worried though. I did watch it live and I was worried that the whole thing was just going to go up in flames. There was a moment of of worry and fear. I, I, I don't know how I feel about Richard Branson. I've always sort of, growing up, I thought, oh, he's an amazing entrepreneur. He's brilliant. But then as you peel back the layers, he, yeah, he's done some pretty tax avoiding stuff over the years. He's, uh, he's a lot of his business, most of his businesses have failed. I think only one or two of his businesses have succeeded and sort of subsidized everything else. I oh, needed um, a couple, mate. I oh, needed a couple. But he's got like, he's got a book called uh, Losing My Virginity, right? And uh, mm. it's very clever. He's he's a very clever man. He loves using the word virgin and virginity a lot, and he throws it around. But he, uh, you know, he sort of paints his picture of this sort of buccaneering champion of the people, and how he he you know he did so well because everyone loves him and he's brilliant. But there's a much better book by a guy called Tom Bauer, who did a biography on Richard Branson, and it's more like an expose, and it kind mm. of exposes the really kind of evil shit sociopathic stuff that richard branson did to get to that point because let's face it you don't become a billionaire without treading on a few people along the way and he mm. certainly did and in, in a weird way i kind of had more respect for him after reading the book because i saw the decisions he had to make and the ruthlessness that he had to show to get to that point whereas his book mm. it just sort of makes it seem like oh, i woke up and i thought let's have an airline and then i had an airline and then i thought let's have some virgin coke Coca-Cola, let's take them on. And then I had a company. Like you just, it's all a load of bollocks. Whereas this book, which is just called Branson, it just sort of shoots him down a lot. But I don't know. I, I, I admire what he's done. It's not a rags to riches story. Like he had quite wealthy parents. He did do some pretty dodgy tax stuff in the 60s and 70s with his record company. But thankfully, his rich, wealthy parents, I think his dad's a barrister, was able to remortgage the house and bail him out, which is something... 99% of the population can't do. So he was kind of lucky in that regard. So I, know, I could talk about Branson all day. Whether you love him or hate him, I guess it's still impressive that he uh, his company's finally gone to space after 17 years of waiting, given that mm. it started in 2004. And he's kind of been saying every year since then, oh, yeah, it's going to be next year. So it's kind of surreal to see it. Kind of surreal to see it. And uh, for $250,000, Pete, you can ride it as well, Virgin Galactic, when you're doing it. I'll do. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll be saving up all the money I've uh, saved by not going to Japan every year for the next five years. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's at least twenty trips to Japan, isn't it? In terms of <laughs> yeah, pretty much. What would you rather have though? Be in space for three minutes or come to Japan twenty times? I'd probably I'd probably like to go to Japan for twenty times. You know, just because yeah. that is like space. Isn't it? it is like traveling to space. It is. It is. Oh, Fair yeah, play. Yeah. All right, we've got a story this week that simply had headlined Road Rage in Tokyo. A car with a male fashion model gets attacked by a man with a crowbar. Wonderful, wonderful. A story of violence. We don't get that, we don't get that many violent stories on the podcast. It's always no, someone missed pretty, their train or lost their wallet. So Yeah, pretty chill country really in many ways. It is, isn't it? It's the trouble with Japan. The stories always 
kind of like nice. Like, oh, I lost my wallet and woe, woe was me. I found it 10 minutes later by the police <laughs> who had it. Never any much worse than that. All right, let's see if this one is any interesting. Uh, we've got Dear Chris and Pete San. I hope you're both doing exceptionally well. Bram here from Antwerp in Belgium. Been a fan of your work for quite a while and I wanted to share with you a very unsettling experience I had in Tokyo about a decade ago. In the fall of 2010, I was fortunate enough to go to Tokyo for three months as a fashion model. Oh, glamorous. During the weekdays, I was being driven around Tokyo from customer to customer for castings by a wonderfully wacky driver, Nobuhiko-san. Usually, we were four to six foreign male models in the car at any given time, which, as you can imagine, was quite intense and loud. Sounds like something out of Zoolander. <laughs> On a late afternoon in my second week in Tokyo, we were driving in Ginza, an upmarket district in Tokyo, to an important customer. When we got stuck in a narrow street, a small van blocked the passage in front of us for quite a while, which highly irritated Nobu-san. Why we were, we were going to be late for our appointment, and this would be a big issue for both Norbu and for us, since the customer would be highly offended. When the owner of the van, a man in his 40s, in a suit appeared, Nobu-san all of a sudden started shouting at the guy out of frustration. All, all I could understand was, Hitakso, which, which is a, an offensive, uh, offensive slur comparable to you fucking asshole. The driver seemingly ignored Nobu-san, got in the car and started driving onwards. At the end of the narrow street, we unwillingly followed the van in the same direction and stopped behind him at a traffic light at a bit further down the road. Oh, it's always really awkward when this happens as a driver, where you have like some awkward moment with another driver, like they pull in front of you, you beep, and then you mm. sort of end up being stuck behind them moments later at a traffic light. And then, <laughs> this is where the story takes a turn for the worse. At that moment, stuck behind him in the traffic lights, something unimaginable happened. All of a sudden, the driver stepped out of his car, <laughs> took a crowbar out of his trunk, uh, an, an actual metal crowbar. Starting to sound like Half-Life here. Uh, no, <laughs> boo. Uh, he started running towards the right-hand side of our car and smashed the headlight with his crowbar whilst yelling loudly at Nobu and all of us. When he threatened to smash in the front window, Nobu-san and all the guys in the car freaked out like hell. Nobu hastily drove the car on the opposite lane of his right side in order to escape from this madman. While we almost hit the guy during our escape, he managed to smash the window in the back, narrowly missing the head of a Dutch model who was looking through the window. Nobu <laughs> continued driving through a red light in order to get away. We luckily didn't hit any other cars. We had managed to escape safely. All the guys, all the guys in the car were baffled by what had just happened and full of adrenaline, as you can imagine. In the end, nobody actually got hurt. We only got covered with glass from the window. But what on earth happened to us? Of course, we didn't go to the customer and just drove back to the modelling agency. Later on, Norbu got interrogated by the police in order to identify the culprit, but we never heard back from them on this case. My question to you guys is, what is your guess about the identity of the culprit? Was it a Yakuza member who needed to blow off some steam or a frustrated salaryman who had a very crap day? Have you ever had this kind of road rage incident in Japan? Keep up the great work, lads. Lots of love from Belgium. Bram from Belgium. Good God. What do you make of that, Pete? Yakuza, I like the Gordon idea Freeman. Of a, Who was it? I like the idea of a sexy uh, van full of sexy boys getting attacked by a man with a crowbar. Take that, sexy boys. I, like, I mean, yeah, four or five models in a car being attacked by a crowbar. It's, would you, what would it's you, not would ideal, you have got out, is it? Would you have taken him down? 
Mate, look, if I'm a sexy passion model, my face is my business. And I'm not putting my face on any peril for Nobu or anyone else, to be quite frank. I'm <laughs> looking after myself, looking after numero uno, number one, Ichiban Donaldson. I'm, I, the face is my business, and business is good. Uh, and, yeah, no, I'm, I'm running for the hills. I'm getting out of the way. I'm getting out of Dodge, mate. Driving for the hills. I thank God Nobu got them out of there quickly. I reckon <laughs> it must have been like a Yakuza. Guy. Like, who the fuck has a crowbar like that in their boot of the car, like the trunk? They just whip out. That's not um, that's not normal. It's a pretty adequate kind of lockpick, I suppose. I've got to take a um a, oh, I, we we I bought um a cupboard when we moved house. Uh it's just arrived. It's too big for the hole it was going in. Uh I measured the wall rather than the skirting board, so uh I'm gonna have to peel off a skirting board this afternoon and I'm gonna need I'm gonna need a crowbar. So this afternoon um I'm gonna pop out the DIY <laughs> shop and uh and grab myself a little little bit of crowbar action. <laughs> Just need to tell the right person to go fuck themselves and they'll bring the crowbar yes. to you, it seems. Yes, Good exactly. God. I mean in Ginza they do so Ginza's like really upmarket district. What's it comparable to in the US or the UK, do you think? Like Beverly Hills? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe? Like Savile Row? Something. I don't know. Um, yeah. Oh, somewhere Savile fancy. Row. I guess Kensington. Oh, I'm trying to think where all the shops are, the nice shops are. Probably I think like Mayfair. Mayfair. Chelsea, yeah, Mayfair, right. Yeah. yeah. So it's, but it's it's home to the most prestigious and expensive hostess clubs, right? The place where women mm. pour your drinks and tell you you're brilliant over and over for thousands of dollars. And, you know, I, I've met people that have spent upwards of like $10,000 a night in these sort of hostess clubs because they'll be mm. like, who wants champagne? And then you've got to look big and rich and brilliant in there and they, mm. you throw money around and whatnot. So these places are often operated by folks like the Akiza. So if it was in one of those districts, it could well have been someone, a manager, uh, Yakuza member who manages a district or manages a few shops. He was coming home after a long day, got shouted at and thought, fuck this. I'm not taking this and crowbarred the hell out of old Nobu. That's my theory. I don't think it's a salary man who uh, lost his temper. But there is, there was, um, we've had a few stories over the last year about road rage. I remember there was a guy in Chiba who like nearly ran someone off a road uh, or Saitama. There's a lot of road rage mm. in the greater Tokyo area. I've been lucky over the years. I don't think I've ever experienced road rage in Japan, just elderly drivers who are just terrifying. They will kill you. <laughs> Their driving's reckless, and they'll pull out in front of you for no reason. Shame. Mm. But we've we've talked about the uh, mental health provisions in in Japan before, and uh, you know people losing their mind on the roads. I imagine happens uh, more often than, <clears throat> than than not. Even though it's a society that uh, obviously um, values uh, respect and not getting in your neighbour's grill needlessly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dear oh dear. Well, we've got a new story this week. It's a bit more upbeat. This week, a Super Mario 64 game sold for a record $1.5 million. I don't... $1.5 million for a Super Mario game, <laughs> right? A sealed mint condition copy of a video game, Super Mario 64, sold at auction for $1.5 million, making it the most expensive video game ever sold. Uh, the game cartridge, dating from 1996, was in high demand at a US auction house, Heritage Auctions, for its historical significance, rarity, and condition. Uh, apparently, there's fewer than five copies in such good condition. I don't believe that, though, because I've been to so many places in Japan where, like video game shops, that, that all the games look immaculate. Do you really think there's yeah, five, but five copies? 
I think it'll be a uh, it'll be a certain um, release. There might be a certain like uh, you know a, a quite an early release on the N sixty four. I think you'd be surprised though. Like yeah, you'll you'll see it in <clears throat> you'll see it in beautiful condition, but they won't necessarily be sealed from like you know factory sealed when it was actually bought in the first place. Um, yeah, it, it's it's weird to sort of now be seeing video games that are going on sale for that amount of money that are like, mm. you know, the generation of the N64, the polygons. You know, I, I've, I've seen loads of like NES kind of really rare um, boxes and stuff. But but then you sort of go, well, I mean, Mario N64, such a popular game. It's not like a, you know, it's not a rarity. Mm. It's not a um, it's not a, a prototype. It's not like anything that, that, that you couldn't get anywhere else. So it, it is quite, it, it does seem like it's, it's got a really weirdly inflated um, quality. But it, it was one of those... Um, it's one of those games that have actually been rated by, I think, a Japanese uh, company uh, that do ratings of this, like, you know, the, the, these beautifully um, well-conditioned, mm. um, well-kept uh, games. They have, like, um, a scoring system, and this one scored, like, a 9.8 out of 10. Um, the the thing that made me giggle was, um, I think, Luke Plunkett in uh, Kotaku, I think it was Luke, um, wrote about, uh, today, uh, a copy of uh, Oblivion, uh, the video game Oblivion, the Elder, Elder Scrolls, Scrolls Oblivion game that's Not obviously that game. been on 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 any on every fucking video game uh, um, format possible. Um, on like an original Xbox three hundred and sixty version that went for six hundred dollars, I find what? that more egregious because it's six hundred dollars. Yeah, it was a good looking quality. It's a good quality looking um, version of uh, Oblivion, but it's oh, Oblivion God. on the Xbox 360, a game that everyone had, <laughs> and it's only you know, ten years old, and it went for six hundred dollars. I don't know who was buying this bollocks, but they are. <laughs> I mean, the whole kind of market is overheating in the world of collecting things at the moment, both physical and non-fungible. Mm. Like well, I'm sure you're familiar with NFTs and uh, yeah, folks selling artwork. I um. And and the Pokemon cards they've they've back with a vengeance, mainly <laughs> a lot of a lot of them due to folks like Logan Paul and um, a mm. lot of influencers are snapping them up and whatnot. Like I think the rarest Pokemon card in the world just sold for one hundred fifty thousand pounds. That is and, insane. Uh, that's insane. I I can't believe Pokemon cards are still a thing. I used to love Pokemon cards in like nineteen ninety eight. But now, yeah, is it? I don't I've, know. I've, I, I've got no, I've got no answer for why it's. I mean, I, I guess the the the, uh, the um the old video game Pokemon. I mean, to be honest, I heard your um, I heard you on Trash Taste talking about Apex Legends, uh, with God. with C Dunk, with Connor and the rest of them, and uh, they treated you like the oldest man in the world. So I, I felt so old. I don't think we are the people to answer why Pokemon cards are back. <laughs> I mean, I don't get. Yeah, I, I start to feel really old. Whenever I hang out with Trash Taste, and they're like all these Apex <laughs> Legends, and what is it Raid? Raid? Yeah, I've not. I've, I don't. I don't play it. Right. I don't know what it is. I mean, yeah, yeah. Connor, I, 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 I'm familiar with it, but I just don't know what the what the whole uh, what you got wrong in that sentence. I have no idea. Watch the is episode it, Trash Taste. It's good. Is it Raid Shadow <laughs> Legends or something? One of the games is called. Cool, but like, I don't. He made don't me. We're in a hotel. I'm a PUBG guy. <laughs> we in a hotel like a, a month ago and he was like oh look at this mate it's really good and like put it on the tv and it was just shit it was just like three people commentating <laughs> on someone throwing a sword against a wall and i was like this isn't great give me super mario 64 <laughs> any day like i can see i mean super mario 64 is a piece of video game history and i'm i think <laughs> that is justifiably 1.5 million dollars like that is something i could accept 
quite wholeheartedly. I mean, like, you know, sort of arena-based, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, uh, arena-based <sighs> kind of um, combat games. Um, but, uh, combat games are quite interchangeable, I think, from, yeah. from, from everything from... For, from like Overwatch forwards and stuff, I find it very uh, interchangeable and very sort of unlovable. But yeah, I, I don't play a lot of them. That's that's probably the problem. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There's very little charm in in those worlds for me. I would say. Fair enough. I mean, it, it's I don't know how to feel about it all. I don't know. I've had a weird. <laughs> I've had a weird time with video games. I sort of missed the golden era, which is kind of like the 80s and 90s, mm. right? Um, I feel like the nineties was kind of the golden era of video games. Is that accurate? Am I wrong? Was it? Yeah, I mean, has it ever there was a lot of video stopped? game companies that went out of business in the late eighties. So, yeah, I mean, your Sega, your Sega Genesis's, and your uh, Super Nintendo's, your SNES's. Um, that's uh, you'd probably call that the golden age, wouldn't you? I suppose. I think so. Your I think so. All I'm thinking though is at this point, with all these Pokemon cards, video games going for <clears throat> billions of dollars. I, you know, I live really close to some bloody fantastic secondhand stores for retro mm. video games and cards. Like, there's a the store around the corner. There's Pokemon cards everywhere. They are in Japanese though, so I don't know how that affects the value. But I keep mm. thinking, wait a minute, maybe I should buy all this stuff, put it in a box, <laughs> put the box in a cupboard, lock the cupboard, come back to the cupboard in ten years, and then I could afford a trip on Virgin Galactic with Richard Branson. <laughs> Want to sell it <laughs> or inevitably? Lose, what if you lose the? Um... What if you lose the box? What if you lose access to the box? I'll never That's lose access to the box. <laughs> what, I, is that the lack of faith you have in me that I would lose access yeah. to the box? Well, you might lose filled with millions of dollars of video games. <laughs> but uh, if the most expensive game ever auctioned was uh, Mario sixty four, Super Mario sixty four, one point five million dollars, the one before was the Legend of Zelda for the Nintendo Entertainment System from nineteen ninety eight, mm. which uh, was. Just two days before, went for eight hundred and seventy thousand dollars. So, Blimey. it's interesting. I wonder why Super Mario did so much better. I guess it was the changing point when video superest. games became truly three D, right? <laughs> yeah, bit. I guess so. It was the it was the superest. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like it was. Uh, I think it was. A, I think when I first saw Mario sixty four, I was like, "How is that going to work?" Because Super Mario is very mm. simple, and they just really nailed that control system. And uh, you know, everyone was catching up playing catch up uh, after that by making their own fucking mm. you know um tasmanian devil uh is it tasmanian devil? what's that what's that crash bandicoot like that kind of thing <laughs> afterwards i thought you were talking about sonic the hedgehog at one point but uh, mm. i i think as i mentioned last week i'm getting this i hope to get the studio right around the corner in sendai mm. and uh i'd love to have like a retro game corner there where i have like a tv and the cool game set up have like a playstation 5 have the old nintendo 64 Bit of perfect dark, and uh, I don't know, just chill out, play video games. Take me back to the two thousands. <laughs> Have you know. got? Um, how far are you into this new kind of studio adventure? Because obviously, um, all you hear from people trying to uh, rent real estate in Japan mm, is that it's mm. bloody impossible. It's um, well, I've I've sort of looked at it, and I like it, and I want it, and <laughs> I will. <laughs> and that's all it takes. It's like it's all, it it's all it's, but now it's just got to do the paperwork, and yeah, it's not easy. You've got to pay like four months up front of like right. rent, and that's not cheap. Uh, no, that's, that's a lot of money. So yeah. got to find that money. Got to shake a few piggy banks upside down. Got to sell <laughs> some abroad Japan memorabilia, which doesn't exist. <laughs> but no, I, yeah, it's kind of at the stage where just sort of get it. Got to get approval. It's always a bit dicey as a 
is a foreigner as well. So I might mm. have to like get reiterated to be like, look, it's a Japanese person. Let's put it under his name, <laughs> and he's good. Do you see yeah. there was a, a story this week where there was some sort of lift in Tokyo. <laughs> I think it was the XL Hotel in Akasaka. Uh, I've never stayed there. It's above a Hooters. Bit of bit of fun for you there, bit of knowledge. Okay, Other Hooters, yeah. if you like Hooters, <laughs> which I don't know why anyone does. They're rubbish. And a uh, family restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> I, really I've never got it. a Hooters. Absolute crap. Luckily, no, they're all shutting never up. Been, just Tokyo. confusing, though. Yeah, there's like one left now, I think, in Tokyo from a, a high of four or five. But um, mm. yeah, this hotel, I had like two lifts. One of them was like Japanese only, and the other one was foreigners only. And it caused quite the storm in every newspaper under mm. the sun. And uh, it's almost like some sort of apartheid scenario. Like foreigners there <laughs> in that lift, Japanese in this one. Um, but I, I think, I, I don't know what their thinking was. I think the aim was they thought foreigners that are coming from overseas, more like overseas folks that have just come into Japan, go in that lift mm. just to be safe. I'm sure they weren't being too malicious about it, but it uh, just came off as pretty bad and pretty awful. Like it's imagine, funny how imagine, but but it would have been white people being uh, <laughs> going. What what is happening here? I'm not. Ha- I this is but this isn't fair, and we've never <laughs> done anything like this. This isn't fair. That's how I felt. <laughs> it's true. I uh, yeah. A lot. I think a lot people love to kick up a fuss about such things. They did. Um, they did relabel it to. What was it? it? Was like foreigners. They relabeled it to not foreigners only. It was like foreigners exclusive or something. They changed the word. <laughs> Make it sound it. exclusive. Yeah. Oh, exclusive foreigners <laughs> lift. Oh, they put exclusive in front. I don't feel so sad about the whole situation. <laughs> yeah, they tried to make. They tried to sort of improve it, but just made it worse. Good old. I don't know what. This, why is there never any sort of PR person that's like, look, just be careful. What, what I love is there was just some sort of worker at this hotel who probably just thought, you know, let's have the. The overseas people coming in from the Olympics. Let's put yeah. them in a separate lift just to be safe. Mm. They printed those bits of paper out, stuck them on the door. Someone took a photo, bang, the hotel just received millions of dollars of free publicity, albeit the wrong publicity, <laughs> all because of probably one person who didn't think things through. But, yeah, yeah it's, it's always ridiculous. I'm sure they they weren't being <laughs> malicious. Unlike the ramen shop owner last year, he just banned foreigners from coming in altogether uh, right, to, okay. uh, because of the old ramen. But, yeah. Dear, oh dear. Oh, well, dear, oh dear. dear oh Going to go down there and protest, make a video. We'll be back in a moment with the Fax Machine with your messages and stories, guys. Back in a moment. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odour control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month and six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. In our daily lives, we all carry around with us different stressors. They can be big, they can be small, and sometimes we might not even realise that we're carrying them around with us. But if these feelings stay bottled up, they can start to affect us negatively, which is why having a positive outlet for discussion can be such a valuable tool for your well-being. Therapy can be a perfect outlet for your inner stressors. It's a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Sometimes just speaking things out into the open can be such a great release of inner tension, so you can spend less time stressing about the issue and more time figuring out how you can overcome it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash Japan today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash Japan. Join me. Jaguar, the host of BBC Introducing Dance on Radio 1 for my brand new podcast, Utopia Talks. It's a reactive platform to discuss issues that my generation care about in dance music culture and the wider world. I'll be talking to some of the biggest names in dance music, including people like Heidi. The lineups do not need to be 99% male-driven. There's all these interesting new producers and women that are coming through. You know, all sorts. It's like women are speaking out now. And the sensational Bless Madonna. I feel like literally my entire life has led up to this. This is the first event we've had like this, not just in the UK, but really in the Western Hemisphere. And to be able to be here with all of these people who are so happy is just absolutely the biggest, highest joy of my life. As well as having the meaty conversations I often have with friends that I'd love you to join in with. There's so much new energy coming out of the pandemic and there's so many like new nights and festivals and everyone's really pushing for this new structure where people genuinely don't feel anxious Mm -hmm. about coming to a club night because of the way they look or the way they dress. It's more about everyone in. To me, Utopia is a perfect moment. It's togetherness. It's the future. I want to live in a more inclusive, equal world and I hope this podcast will build a community and help create change. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. New episodes dropping every Wednesday. Welcome to Utopia Talks. Utopia Talks is a stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. And we're back with the Fax Machine. What have we got this week in the Fax Machine, Mr. Dawson? If my voice can handle it after screaming at England a couple of nights ago. Hello, Chris oh, and God. Pete. My name is Mike and I'm from Canada. I've got a question for my favourite YouTuber and my favourite number one Japan enthusiast. Uh, I was recently reading a manga 
where the protagonist lives in a small town in the countryside and a lot of characters end up having some deep and dark secrets. That got me thinking. It's not the first time I see uh, the Japanese countryside uh, portrayed that way in manga and anime. It seems like the smaller rural areas are often so associated with concept of close-mindedness, traditionalism, hypocr- hypocrisy, and a general feel of secrecy and apprehension to outsiders. So my question is... What is the perception of the Japanese countryside from a Japanese lens? Is it positive, negative, neutral? Uh, is it the uh, <laughs> like the old plug, uh, the old electric plug? Um, is it the uh, classic example of city folks looking down on rural folks? Am I only reading manga and watching anime from people who have had a bad trip to a rural town? Thank you very in- any insights you can provide and keep on with the great content your podcasts and videos make my days. Mike, Chris. Do people, you've lived in a small town, you've lived in a spooky little village where literally no one is around during the day because they're all at work. Um, is it spooky? Do people have secret skeletons in their content, uh, in their uh, content, in their cupboards? <laughs> <laughs> skeletons in their content. It's funny you should say mm. that, actually. I was looking through my wardrobe earlier and I do have a skeleton that I forgot to put in a video. So uh, <laughs> I will lovely. have a skeleton in my content. That's uh, smashing stuff. <laughs> ties in nicely. Um, I think people in the countryside here are, I think certainly with COVID, it's made you realise that they feel very detached from the city. Like in Natsuki's town of, uh, of Sapata, if if you're A, foreign, or B, someone who's just come from a city, they're a bit on the edge at the moment. They're not, they're kind of like, oh God, is this person bringing the plague with them? Are they, they going to come and ruin my shop? <laughs> you know, and I can, I, I can understand it a little bit, you know, out in the countryside, you can obliterate your business if you catch COVID or, you know, one of your customers bring it with them. But um, I do feel, I mean, I love the rural area in Japan. I've just spent the last few days in Akita and on and Aomori um, in North Japan. And they did a very good job clinging to their traditions up there. They, they mm. You kind of feel like the real, I hate the phrase, the real Japan. Well, it's the real Japan, Pete. The real Japan. It's the real They've Japan. got shrines and weird demon demon things like in akita we focused on the namahage kind of demons of Oga peninsula it's kind of ironic actually the the peninsula is called Oga, like oga mm. Oga, mm. and the the local mascot or the local demon they they are ogres called namahage and that's just oh. a complete coincidence how cool is that and how did i only just realize that <laughs> weird Oga, Oga peninsula but um yeah i love the countryside i feel like People are more shy out there, of course, but uh, it's where you're going to get the most authentic experience. I don't think they look down on city people. And in fact, most people in those rural areas, they go and live in Tokyo or Sendai or a big city for a few years. Mm. They do their sort of nine to five in an office and then many of them move back. So they don't look down on people in cities, but I think they're relieved they're not there. They're relieved that they're back in the countryside and I can't blame them really. Having been to many Japanese cities, I'd much rather live in the rural countryside. It's a much better standard of life, right? What do you think? Definitely. Definitely. No, I, mean, yeah, I, I mean, I can only speak from my uh, relationship with my own hometown, which is very, uh, uh, not rural. Don't bring Harley Potter sort of town, this. Sort of, I'm a bit of a townie, really. But um, yeah, I guess um, I, I don't look down at uh, people who stuck around Harley Post, great little town. Um, it's just no jobs. It's just no bloody jobs. Yeah. And that's the same for the Japanese countryside, unfortunately. And that's why... When most people I know who came here as English teachers, when they finish their time, they end up like 90% of them moving to Tokyo. It's a real mm. shame. It's a real shame, I think. 
because they do benefit from having foreign folks like me turn up and walk around <laughs> with a camera, be a dickhead. The benefit. We got one here. <laughs> the benefit. <laughs> there is no benefit. What wild about? We got one here from Aman. It says, "Hi, Chris and Pete. I'm Aman from India, and I've been consuming the Abroad Japan content for a couple of years now. I've been a massive anime and manga fan since childhood, and I've gotten more into the culture through YouTube. I've observed through your videos and anime and manga how the Japanese people are obsessed with the English language. Most of their products have some English words written on them, but when it comes to speaking the language, not many people are able to do it." I always wondered why they teach English in schools and they even bring people from other nations to teach English. And they certainly want to do it. So it's not from a lack of intent or trying. But what are your views on that? Thank you for the content, guys. Keep up the good work. Regards, Aman. I mean, that ties in nicely with what we were just saying. Um, what do you think, Pete? Why aren't they good at English? What's going on? <laughs> why are they good at English? Like a lot of decorative English, it's all about giving your um, product or um, book or writings a little a veneer of uh, respectability. Mm. And, and, you know, it just sounds cool, doesn't it? It's like it's, our, it's like the, um, the English um, versions of Americanisms. We don't necessarily need them to communicate, but saying things like cool or cowabunga or skateboard. Cowabunga. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not the 90s anymore, it's, Pete. It sounds Bloody cool. Hell. All right, mate. Apex Legends, other whatever Apex it is, Raid um, of but um, <laughs> but yeah, I guess it's all just a, it's it, it it it's not important for them to communicate in English, but uh, English gives it a veneer of of of, of a feeling mm. of the other, the um, kind of exoticness of, of of using English. I think it's fair to say. Well, I think the assumption is it's prestigious because the company has lots of marketing budget, and it must be a big company mm. if it's written in English. That's the sort of yeah. idea behind it, and certainly. Natsuki's been drenching his products, his homemade products, uh, in English <laughs> that I have to painstakingly correct every day. Every other day, it's like, <laughs> I want to call my face cream Wonder Gel. Does that sound good, Chris? And I'm like, oh, don't know if Probably that's not. a good idea, Natsuki. <laughs> um, so I just, just like, just put Japanese on it, mate. But um, yeah, I, I mean, in terms of English, in the countryside, they don't really need English, let's face it. I was in about as much of a rural location as you can get in Japan. And it was an uphill struggle. I had 2,000 students and about 10 of them actually seemed to be interested in learning English uh, at mm. any given time. And at first I was frustrated, but I also understood. And I had to sympathize and empathize a bit because I remember when I was at school learning Spanish um, and I felt like I didn't really need it at the time. It wasn't really a pressing mm. issue. And out there in the countryside, they don't need it. Uh, the only ones that did want to learn it were the ones that, um, had lived or travelled outside of Japan for a bit and sort of been exposed to the world outside Japan. But there were some changes when I was there. Certainly, I think midway through my years teaching, they changed the curriculum. So they finally integrated a bit on conversation and actually speaking mm. Japanese, uh, sorry, speaking English because they just didn't have that. It was always re write, like reading and writing. And that's not the fun mm. bit in English. The fun bit is being able to speak to the slightly grumpy British guy that, walks around your school day munching on chicken. Like you want to go up to him and talk to him, don't you? Yeah, you want to experience about. that guy's life. That's what you want. Um, uh, but I, I don't know. I feel like it's it, it can be a bit of a collective joke at times. Like They just sort of joke about English a lot. and I don't know. I don't think they necessarily need it, but they do need to find ways of making teaching English more effective because students just sit in a classroom for hours and on hours and end, sorry, and don't learn anything. I think that's a shame. I think it's a real shame. Mm. And I mm. used to spend a lot of my time as a teacher trying to motivate them and being rather than necessarily teaching them grammar, just sort of listing out reasons why learning English is good, you know, 
mm. like you can watch abroad in Japan. Uh, that, and, <laughs> it's and very important. That's an important bit. Exactly. <laughs> it's the main thing. Uh, the teaching was just a front to encourage my students to promote abroad in Japan. We all know that. We all know that. We've got one from Jody Pete. Over to you. Got a quick one from Jordy. Hi, guys. Long time listener to the podcast and watcher of the YouTube channel. You helped us plan our honeymoon to Japan in 2019, and we absolutely fell in love with the country. This story is not about that, though. I know most people listen to the podcast on their commute or while doing uh, general housework. I wonder if you've been involved in anyone else's big life events. Your great podcast kept me sane during the most um, stressful and unnerving day of my life so far. While I was walking up and down an empty ward nine months pregnant, trying to get the baby moving and out, uh, she was apparently far too comfortable. Imagine that. You're stressed out. You're about to experience the worst pain of your goddamn short life and and you are listening to me and chris are dis- disgracefully just p- pedestrian tones <laughs> in your ears wow um the ward was eerily quiet as I was on my own. Uh, my husband was not allowed in with me because of uh, COVID, so it was me, myself, and I. The mid- midwife would pop her head in occasionally, though. I did have a number of back episodes to listen to, though. I listened to about 20 of your podcasts that day, and there was still no sign of the baby. Our baby girl finally <laughs> appeared after I'd been uh, in hospital for nearly 24 hours, and you guys were with me through most of that journey, apart from wow. when I ended up in the operating theatre. Oh, Geordie. Um, unfortunately, she's not been named after either of you. However, her, fav- her two favourite stuffed teddies have both been <laughs> Uh, named Chris Woofer Broad <laughs> and Pete Doggleson. <laughs> Doggleson. Uh, That's my We both listened. Oh, Doggleson. Pete Doggleson and Chris Woofer Broad. Um, <laughs> um, oh we both listen to you now when we're going on walks or driving in the car. I figured our little Tali is uh, your youngest listener at 6.5 months old. Oh, we better cut down on the swearing. Little oh, Tali's going to learn some little <laughs> little words. Um, we can't wait to start playing our next year in Japan so we can show the amazing country. Keep up the great work, guys, and keep <laughs> thanks for keeping me sane. Due that lonely stint in hospital, Geordie. What an honour! Wow, I would very much like to see these two uh, stuffed teddies, please. I mean, I presume they're dog. I pre- like she's she's just teddies, um, but they, they seem to have a dog element to them. So, like dog teddies, I don't really <laughs> a <laughs> dog a teddy element. bear, dog. Yeah, very very a bear. I uh, dog mix. I would stop at nothing to see a photo of Pete Doggleton. That is amazing. Yes, that's, true. That's, <laughs> me too. I love the way this, the, the the first thing the baby might have heard is just coming out and just hearing. Me being like, oh, I want to get some chicken, but I can't bother to get out of my apartment. <laughs> oh, you know, I love chicken. Like, that's is that the first thing a baby deserves to hear? Is yes, that? I think it is. Yes, I think it's it exactly is. what it deserves. That's to incredible, hear. though. Like, I, yeah, I, yeah. I it, we joke, but that's that's very moving. So, thank you for that, Jody. And um, mm. I hope you're doing well with your baby. And uh, yeah, I th- we, I do get messages occasionally from folks who are like. I'm getting married and I'd love you and Natsuki to come or I've got our honeymoon at this location because of somewhere you shouted out or, you know, mm. we, we do get really nice, powerful emails, not only on the podcast, but on abroad in Japan. And um, it's nice. Like, again, doing the podcast, Pete and I sit in a room at opposite ends of the world. We talk about things and hundreds of thousands of people listen every month around the world. And same with the in Japan. I sit in a room and whinge about things. I wanted some chicken. I, I like chicken. That's that's the in Japan channel. And it's just me in a room whinging about things. And 300 million people have watched it. And so when you hear stories like this, it makes you realize how lucky you are to do it. And uh, very grateful for it. And also Pete Doggleton. <laughs> it's made my fucking day. It's made my Certainly day. Worries me. Certainly worries that people are listening to this nonsense. It's a bit, <laughs> Let me listen to a, it again. Oh, Wednesday. <laughs> when you're, when if you have a kid, Pete, I'd be playing the podcast to them as well. And yeah, there's a little yeah. bit 
of Pete Doggleton in us all. But for now, guys, <laughs> keep the stories, questions, comments coming into a Japan podcast at gmail.com. We'll be back to do it all over again next week. I'm still laughing at Doggleton. Uh, and no matter where you might be out there in the big wide world, have a great week and we'll see you right back here on the podcast <laughs> all over again on Thursday or Sunday. I don't know what day it is anymore. That's what happens I when you're laughing Sunday. at Doggleton. We'll see you on Sunday night, 10pm, UK time, baby. Abroad in Japan is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.